everybody. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I just want to say I really appreciate you listening to this podcast, and I sincerely hope that it's helping you in some way in your own journey towards either becoming a disciple maker or learning about discipleship and how important it is to have in your own life. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to hit the subscribe button so you can stay up to date each time I release a new episode. So today's interview is with author Will Mancini about his new book, Future Church, Seven Laws of Real Church Growth. This clip was taken from a show that aired on the Discipleship.org Collective. To find out more about how you can sign up for a free account, go to Discipleship.org slash collective to catch more shows like this one live. All right, everybody, let's jump into this interview. This is Bobby Harrington, Matt Dabbs, and Will Mancini. Glad to have you here, Will. Uh, we actually started talking about future church by talking to Matt about his church, which is called Backyard Church, and it's a disciple-making uh, church uh, that uh, really ties in in many ways to some of the ideas in future church. So we're, we're really glad to have you here with us, Will. Yes. And uh, we're going to transition. Uh, Matt, if you'll stay on, and if there's, uh, as as we talk to Will, if there's some things that you think are important to bring out, we want, we want you to do that. Um, I just want to start by telling everybody, Will, what I've told you privately, and that is that I just love your book. I think it's one of the most important books for church leaders today. Uh, and, and a lot of that is because of your background in working with a lot of church leaders as really uh, one of the nation's leading consultants on uh, churches and how to structure churches and how to lead churches. So Will, as we start off here and transition to this discussion about your book, can you give us some background on yourself and then what led you to write this book? Yeah, thanks so much. I, you know, my background, I came to Christ when I was in junior high, middle school in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, my family didn't go to church growing up and from that, Point was involved in kind of a Bible church-esque kind of uh, churches as my dad would move around across the country. Consider, I consider Pennsylvania more of a home and went to uh, Penn State. During that time, I was involved in Crusade, Camps Crusade for Christ at the time crew, and uh, just had the benefit of just well-trained, called men who invested in my life. Uh, even, even in high school, there was significant investment, but college that was exposed to just, you know, great training. And that gave me a hard, I mean, reading Master Plan of Evangelism, you know, as a college student, just kind of the way that sets your heart on fire for ministry, at least it did for me. So had a chemical engineering degree, which really formed how I think and uh, problem solve. And, but, okay, uh, wait, 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 we have something. So uh, we're talking to Will Mancini about churches and it was a chemical engineering background that really helped form how he thinks. So I just wanted to highlight that as, as he goes along. Keep going, Will. The key there is it teaches you how to think. Like I didn't want to build chemical plants for a living, but I, it taught, taught me how to think. I uh, went, um, I went to um, worked in the oil field for a couple of years, worked as an engineer while, while I put myself through Dallas Theological Seminary. So that was, uh, you know, a five-year run there. And, you know, at that point in time, I didn't think, 
churches did anything other than make the site. You know, I thought that was just what you do as a church. And um, I did, I, I was um, at a seminary, you know, I was really fascinated with, um, you know, what I call in the future church, the, the now I look back and goes, I call it the new permission era. So in the 80s and 90s, kind of the, the church planning we did that was defined by, you know, an outward posture, wanted to reach people. But, uh, you know, I call it the trinity of the new permission era was, you know, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren and Andy Stanley, where, you know, as Andy Stanley would say, we're, we're designing churches that unchurched people love to attend and this whole seeker driven, seeker targeted kind of stuff happened. And I think without having a great awareness uh, of that, I was just kind of pulled into that as what effective evangelism looked like today, assuming, you know, you, you, you know, you do d- disciple, you know, making within that. And uh, spent my first chapter in the church at a growing church, kind of Willow Creek model in the Houston area. Now, I'm just doing what I was trained to do. I mean, we do groups, and the groups aren't into themselves. The groups are a reason to find your three, and you deeply invest in the three, and there's training around reproducing disciple making in the three. My first training I ever did as a local church pastor in, in small groups was we did training, and you had three file folder tabs, and they, they were blank tabs because you would write the three names of the people that you felt the Lord was leading you to invest your life in deeply. And so there was a sense in which groups were never, a typical small group was never an end to itself. It was just a fishing pool to do relational disciple making that would keep keep going. So what I realized in a nutshell, you know, Bobby, is you, you know, is, is the success of our large size culture churches, the success of some of our attractional models, then can some unintentionally, it's, slips in no one ever feels called to build a church machine right no one ever calls feels called to program church but our success starts working subversively against the very mission of jesus which again you asked for background that's a little bit of my background which culminates in after 20 years of consulting we just had to name it the mission of jesus is not going to all the world and make more worship attenders baptizing them in the name of small groups teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. I mean, that's just not, but it's, it's <laughs> not too easily. And I just want to confess, like, I, I've been a part of the problem as much as I'm trying to think through that. And I think there's an increasing conviction over the last five years. I, I do not want to give myself and my energies to program church. And I don't want to help propagate the deception that sometimes our churches are faking disciples more than making them. So that's the, uh, that's the um, kind of the story in a nutshell behind Future Church. So, uh, Will, when you, uh, in the book, you talk about working with some pretty high-capacity leaders from back in the day, Charles Swindoll to uh, Max Licato and their churches. What was happening in, within you that was causing you to really question the contemporary program-based paradigm? Well, I, in, in, since 2001, I've been consulting full time. I don't really, I even didn't like the consulting word. I've never really used that, but just to, for, for brevity, uh, for efficiency, I think of my work as being a navigator alongside of the pilot of that pastor and their leadership team. But I, I use the phrase vision frame to name the master tool. You could have called it a mission frame. You could have called it a culture frame. If I were renaming it today, I'd call it a disciple-making frame because the whole purpose of this vision frame was to articulate your church's kind of niche, your church's 
uniqueness in its disciple-making mission and model. But that was the whole idea. It was all about the disciple-making mission and model. So we would say, you know, what are you called to do as a church? Let's emotionally connect people to that big idea. Like if, if we're just doing stuff and people don't feel, experience, name the mission of Jesus for themselves, what are we doing? Like, you know, what, uh, what really are we doing? But let's, here's and give the example. The top, you know, we go, what do you do? Why do you do it? How do you do it? When are you successful? And where is God taking you next? But I would reframe all of that around disciple making. What is your one of a kind disciple making mission? What are your disciple culture value, cultural values? What is your disciple making pathway as a strategy? What are your disciple making metrics of success, of fruitfulness? What is your disciple making mission? Where is that leading you in your city, in your community? What is the dream, the disciple making dream adding up to in the next three, four, five years? And you know, naming everything. And what, what I would say is everything was about disciple making. The, the easiest litmus test is every single church I've worked with, uh, we, we have our, our training toolbox has reached 20% of evangelical churches in North America. So we have touched wow. 40,000 church teams with some vision framing kind of resource or tool. Um, most of our work in-depth process through a team, uh, you know, I've, I've trained, I've trained literally um, scores of full-time consultants and hundreds of uh, part-time, you know, trainers, consultants in all different kinds of vehicles and, and under different kinds of brands to use this vision framing tool. For example, the North American Mission Board trains, you know, uh, they're doing 800 church plants a year. Every church planner gets trained with a vision framing tool. So think of it as the Intel chip inside of a lot of different training systems yeah. using a vision frame. And at the, every vision frame asks the question, what kind of disciple is your church designed to produce? Like you don't have a vision frame until you say, here are the convictions, the character and competencies of Jesus that we're trying to duplicate. Now to loop back to your question, Bobby, what I realized about 15 years in, you know, we have two just seven year cycles of learning, innovation. You get to see the fruit or not of churches post, you know, your, your process. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm, I'm inviting into the leadership team for 12 months. So I'm coming in one day a month and we're doing, you know, pretty significant deep change work that I would say that I found that some of the churches could articulate what kind of disciple they're designed to produce. A third of my clients, soar and they take it to a completely new level it's unbelievable another third get much better result i mean they're doing good work now i realized about a third of the churches i'd work with you know they were they were better at talking about the disciple making results they they weren't getting they weren't pushing into so what i realized is i could do a vision framing process in a large church in what we call that lower room you know the emotional connection to place personality programs and people was not being displaced or replaced or reconnected to emotional connection to the mission. Uh, you know, and again, a lot of these, you know, you mentioned Chuck Swindoll and Max Lucado. I'll just say as, as celebrity pastors that they are, there's never a moment where I doubted their, their, their primary calling to make disciples, whether or not the machinery of church was enabling that to happen. They were both wildly successful in the organized expression of church that grew faster than the ability to grow disciple-making, um, you know, relational dynamics. Meaning, our platform always is threatening to outgrow our our, our our organizational platform. Always threatens our relational pipeline. And and you know, so so 
you know, we, we see we see good results, but we not we don't see systemic disciple making fruitfulness just through and through because of because of our platforms that that uh, suppress our pipelines. Okay, so uh, let me just pause for a second. Um, I I want to um, just try to re ask this. So, are you saying that from the beginning you've had the same focus on disciple making, or is that something new? Yet, yes to both. I've all, I've all, I always assumed that the vision framing process would produce disciple making, and and, and I feel largely, you know, and I just be honest, right, Bob? We've known each other for a long time. I feel like in the name of vision that that the core, my core calling has been misunderstood. So people can say, oh, Will's the, Will's the vision guy. Will's the clarity guy. Well, guys, if I'm the clarity guy, what does that mean? It means we are clearer and, and more, you know, effective at disciple making. I mean, that, you know, they're, they're, you know, I didn't get called to build a big church, you know, big churches. I got called to make disciples and that, and that whole deal, you get caught up. And, and it, so, so yes, there is. So I would say it this way. Yes, it's always been about disciple making. Absolutely. But do you have to go further up and further into that, which you already believe? Um, do you have to recognize where success of the modern era of church is subversively working against it? Yes. And I'd say I've only become more clear and my convictions have only deepened that some of what I thought were the most successful churches really, really have not been. Now, again, Bobby, you can look at different people who, who I, I, we, we can name 20, 30, 40, 50 people, thought leaders, great disciple makers that just punched out of the church or would say to me, well, that's been obvious, duh. Well, I've been on a journey and, and I've been growing in my understanding and awareness of that. So I would say I'm disappointed that some of our, quote, most successful churches, I would say today, we're, we're doing very little to move the needle. Um, and, and, you know, at every step of the way, I, I've been surprised at, at you know, the, uh, the disappointments. The disappointments have been surprising, I would say, today. So, yeah, that, that's the best I can say. It's a both and. Always been yeah. on the course, but always been recovering from how little some of our, our best and, you know, large size culture churches are at doing that. It, yeah. And it's not about size culture. We just, those, you know, those stories a little bit more. There are small churches that are doing program church. There are large churches that are doing program church. There are large size culture churches that are relatively effective at disciple making. There are small churches that are relatively effective at disciple yeah. making. So the size of your church has very little to do with it, as you know. Yeah. Now, I will uh, thank you for your transparency there. Uh, I'm just going to uh, give my colleague Matt Dabbs a chance to jump in with a question. Matt? Yeah, well, you were talking about this, you know, some churches kind of get it and take off and other churches can articulate it but are not really practicing it. So like how do, maybe you read a lot of books, you've been through a training or something, and so you can articulate those competencies and character and all those things, but like what's the thing that moves that needle? Like what's that piece that gets them to move into the effective practice? Yeah, I would say, I would say that for the first 15 years of my consulting work, I did not aim for paradigm shift. Let me, give me a long way to answer your question, Matt. I'm not aimed for paradigm shift. And to, to quickly illustrate paradigm shift, um, had a family reunion and my uh, my sons, my dad, my dad's never caught a fish in his life. He's in his mid seventies. So dad, we're gonna get you on a fish. So we're in, 
we're in, uh, in, in off Mexico doing some deep sea fishing and you know, we go out deep for Marlin. And while we're out trolling at seven miles an hour, we got six lines in the water, pulling these little colorful squid through the water. My 27 year old son, Jacob says, dad, it doesn't look like, you know, the way people have fished for Marlin has changed, you know, in a long time. Cause it, he's kind of commenting on how rudimentary this whole process feels. Right. And I said, and I, I pulled up a, um, a, a, a video of a guy who, did offshore fishing with his feet planted on a sandy beach. He caught a massive tuna a mile offshore, but he used a drone to do it. So he used the drone to fly a lure out, find a school of tuna, drop a lure in there, the tuna latches on, and he's got to reel this thing in a mile with his, with his feet in the sand. And I said, you know, uh, when, when we came out fishing for Marlin, we did a lot of strategy and a lot of tactics. Our captain on the boat, who was our guide, had to decide where to go, how deep to fish. And, and people were making different strategy and tactical decisions. You know, what color lure are we going to use, et cetera, et cetera. I said, but we didn't enter a new paradigm fundamentally. The guy who went fishing offshore and didn't need a boat, he entered a new paradigm. Like, we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know you could do this without a boat. Like, we just didn't know that. Now, now come back for a little bit. I think that our organized expressions of church, I make the case in future church, I look at the 40s and 50s when four out of five Americans were in church. I look at, I look at the 60s and 70s at the golden era of denominationalism. <clears throat> we look at the new permission era. We started getting, you know, you know, Saddleback Sam, who just turned 65, by the way, like we started target marketing. We started attractional kinds of things. We started putting big bands and we, we, we successfully attract thousands of people to our churches. And then we had the missional reorientation. We've been having this missional conversation for 20 years. We kind of add all that up. There's still a deep paradigm shift that needs to happen in many of our 350,000 brick and mortar churches. And so we don't know what we don't know on this deal. And so what, what for five years, I've been doing paradigm shift kinds of training and paradigm shift kinds of training is different. And we had to actually take leaders on a journey to experience something completely new from scripture, from shared experiences of working. Just give a simple illustration. I'm with a church of a thousand uh, uh, that's grown to a thousand. They have one of the biggest disciple making convictions that I've ever seen. This pastor's father was a famous pastor and he said, I never want to build a mega church. I want to build a sending church. Their vision is to plant churches all over their city and they're doing it but they're successful and they're, they've got a thousand, they got a thousand people come to their church. So you've got this successful organization, this deep conviction for disciple making. And we're in a moment and I'm doing a training piece I call kind of the crowd cloud cameo. Now hang on here with me. What I'm saying to these pastors are your most important crowd is who's coming on Sunday morning. The most important crowd to the mission of Jesus is the crowd cloud that what you have on Sunday morning represents. And we use 120 as a symbolic crowd cloud representation. 120 is the size of Jesus's church in Acts 1, in my opinion. So he's teaching 20,000 men, women, and children at his biggest teaching events. His church, literally the upper room in Acts 1, is 120 people. I think that's, if, if a denomination asked Jesus, how many people are in your church, Jesus? I think he would have said 120. We don't know, but I think that's what he would have said. I would have said 20,000. That's just the way I operate. I'm going to give my biggest high attendance day. I'm going to give that to my denomination. It, in this crowd cloud, if you have 10 people, let's say in backyard church, Matt, right? You've got, you've got 1,200 people 
in the crowd cloud, you know, represented Monday through Saturday in that, in that backyard gathering. That's the most important crowd. The people now, so I'm in a, I'm in this great quote, disciple making church. They're passionate about disciple making. They really are. They really are. But we sit down and I, I just asked the staff to do a crowd cloud interview with five people. So we're doing a crowd cloud interview on Sally and I actually make them number and name people close to Jesus, people far from Jesus. How many people where you live? How many people in your nine to five? How many people in your extended family? How, they sit down and we're weeping. They're like, you know, Sally is an elementary school librarian. She knows the first names of 700 kids. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we did like, here's the, they're doing church. They're doing worship services and groups and volunteering. They never slow down enough to really be like blown away at the stunning beauty of what Sally is doing in her nine to five every day as an elementary school librarian. And then I asked this question. I said, when you think of your vision frame, your mission, your vision as a church, do you think Sally is connected, the mission and vision of your church, to her crowd cloud, to, to, to the richness and the beauty of every conversation she has with one of those, those elementary school kids? Like, is she connecting the dots? And the staff sits there and they're like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think she's connected the dots. I'm like, we're, you know, we're, we're invalidating the place where Jesus wants to score a touchdown for his mission. Not intentionally, inadvertently, mm -hmm. yeah. inadvertently. So how do you do worship for a thousand people on Sunday morning and take the time and energy to validate that her library is a medium for the disciple making mission of Jesus. It's a place where the touchdown is scored. You know, that, that it's, it, but it's those conversations, whether that's helpful or not, that's just the best of our paradigm kind of work. And we, I'm just putting these day sessions together and doing that kind of training to, to make our churches better and faster at, at normalizing Sally's work as the main work of the church. So, Will, let me jump in here. And in your book, you talk about the different models of churches we think about the future. Can you summarize those models and tell us uh, why you want to focus on helping? Uh, it's really, this, this may not be the way you describe it, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you yeah. want to help the program church uh, transition to focus on disciple making. But before we get there, can you just describe the, the different ways of doing church? Yeah, what I want to do is summarize the modern church in its mindset, which we use, we call that an assimilation funnel mindset. I call it an engagement funnel. I call it a funnel of diminishing returns. It's if you, and that's not meant to be a slam. It's meant to be accurate. And by the way, I think Jesus had an assimilation funnel and I think an assimilation funnel is, is, is a good thing. I think you need to have an assimilation funnel. Uh, well, let me put it this way. You don't need to have it, but it, it, there's a lot of benefits in our cultural moment of having an assimilation funnel. And I think the parable of the soils is kind of a good assimilation funnel model. I mean, you throw out seed and Satan picks some of that away and some of it lands on, you know, shallow on hard, rocky places. And, but, but you know, we're after, we're, so we're, but we're still throwing seed. We're still, you know, we're still going broad. That, that kind of gives us a little bit of assimilation funnel imagery, if you will. So the way that we would I, I, I like to draw the funnel on its side. So going from large to small, 
And I call it the, if you were to boil down every church's assimilation funnel today, there's at least three elements, attend, connect, serve. That relates to the functional Great Commission, going to all the world and make more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups, connect, teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month, serve, attend, connect, serve, attend, connect, serve, attend, connect, serve. Every church has got to attend, connect, serve. Every day I'm talking to pastors. You know, last night, 530 to 6.30, I'm looking at the person's dashboard on attend, connect, serve. Uh, and what we're saying is that while you're doing that, the biggest reason, the primary reason, the only legitimate reason to have that is that you're also helping people latch on to this definitive pattern of Jesus. And I love that idea that between prescription and description as, you know, kind of ways to interpret the text, that there's definitive pattern. There's actually authoritative patterns or models for how Jesus advances his mission. And I draw on top of that kind of funnel that goes from large to small, a small to large funnel. When I'm on a whiteboard, I often draw the assimilation funnel in blue, and I draw the multiplication funnel going from small to large in red. So we talk blue funnel, red funnel. And I love, Bobby, drawing on top of that attend, connect, serve funnel, the 1, the 12, the 72, and the 120. And the dream there is what if Jesus model of investing in 12, that those 12 live a lifestyle of mission and they're called as goers. You know, they see every day as an opportunity and they see, I'll just call it this nine to five as the playing field of church. And that multiplies beautifully from Luke 9, 1 to Luke 10, 1 to 72 people who are going. Now, are there thousands of people enjoying teaching? Yes. I mean, so that, that, that hopefully validates our public teaching environments on Sunday morning. Yes, people are going to come in and enjoy the teaching. Yes. But how does that multiplication work in a, with that, like while that's happening? So I love that idea of like, so I ask every pastor, while you're preaching on Sunday morning, how many ones are activated on the mission of Jesus? So if you have a group of 25 or 50 you're preaching to, how many of that we call are in the upper room? How many, how many are in that? They see their life as, as a part of this. And what happens is you begin to retool. The, 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 there's a, so in a nutshell, the assimilation funnel has an overlay of a multiplication funnel. And simultaneously, you forge those funnels together. The better you do multiplication, the more it reshapes what your assimilation funnel looks like. You know, if you're doing, you can do a both and there. And that's, I'm looking for that middle way. It's not a, a we're, we're, we're relegated to program church that will never make disciples. Absolutely not. Or, or we don't have to just do house church. And I have no opposition to house church. I love it. But there's 350,000 brick and mortar churches that I think could become disciple making centers with the right kind of activity, paradigm shift, activity and discipline, um, you know, work. Here's what I would say, Bobby, to, to wrap that. We want the, the both funnels show you that the future of the church is found in a few. And they, I would suggest that the greatest limitation to your disciple-making results is the imagination of the church leadership. The greatest limitation of our disciple-making results is the imagination of the church leader, not consumers in our culture, not a lack of maturity out, quote, there in people. Those are real things but that's not the greatest limitation. It's your paradigm church leader. 
It's your mindset, it's your mental model of what this, what this mission of Jesus looks like expressed, you know, organizationally. And so I just want to keep bringing that middle way. You can do a both and. Um, just, it, and, and, and I think what's hopeful, particularly post-COVID, the future of the church is always found in the few. Jesus was a celebrity. Tens of thousands heard him teach. But he never lost sight of the fact that the future was found in a few. His deep relational investment in a handful, that ought to be the most hopeful news to every pastor out there. And I know I'm rambling quite a bit, but just to clarify, in John 6, 66, Jesus recreates his own COVID crisis. You know, it's like his teaching is so hard you know, if you don't eat my flesh, drink my blood, you won't have a, you can't have eternal life. And people are knocked sideways and they just leave. They're like, this doesn't make sense anymore. That's too hard for me. I don't get it. But Jesus was purging. The, he wasn't wanting the platform to overrun the relational pipeline. So Jesus protects this precious relational investment in a few. And you can too, as a church leader. That's what's like really fun. And, and that's what the good news is about what the, the mission of Jesus, it wasn't, the gospel wasn't meant to draw a crowd on Sunday morning. It was meant to explode, you know, dynamite in the crowd cloud of every man, woman, and child who has the authority, has real kingdom authority where they live, work, and play. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my sense in reading your book is that there was some a change in your life focus moving forward where more of this accent on disciple making and in fact inverting the funnels the way you have, like that's what you're sold out to for the rest of your life. My you describe it in your words. I don't I don't want to put the words I, in. I would but you the, the challenge is every day of my life, I'm helping churches. Like every day of my life, I walk into churches for the last 20 years and say, Pastor, if I ask your people today, what kind of disciple is your church designed to produce? What would they say? And, and I mean, at this point, you know, you know 15,000 hours of conversations with church teams was about five years ago. I just lost track of the hours. I mean, hundreds and thousands of, you know, engagements and training guys. No church has, there's almost no church on the planet that can answer that question off the top of their head, right? What kind of disciple is your church designed to produce? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm adjunct staff at Peachtree in Atlanta. You know, we just would say, you know, our mission is joining Christ daily in the restoration of all things. 
And we talk about the, the practices of joining Christ daily, and we're aiming at four quality attributes that all have practices tied to them, but we want to grow as more grateful, more available, more curious, and more encouraging as followers of Jesus every day. And so we hang all the practices of Jesus off of those four ideas. How are we growing more grateful, available, curious, and encouraging? And we can tie the whole counsel of God to those four big ideas. That's our mission measures. I mean, I've been doing that for 20 years, Bobby. So this, this funnel fusion picture in my language is, is further paradigm training, further tools to make sure we, this is what we're doing. I'm moving the finish line in my own consulting work to say, you're not done until you can demonstrate that a handful of people are living this 112, 72, 120. By the way, you know how, you know, our connection to Todd Wilson and personal clarity. I mean, I've, I've spent the greatest project of my life. I've started five organizations. The greatest project of my life in that is, is life unique. And, and in 2014, I'd done a 10-year design horizon. We went live in 2014 to help people with special calling. In other words, how do I help a banker, a plumber, a teacher, a counselor, a stockbroker, a real estate, you know, uh, realtor, how do I help them see their nine to five as a medium of disciple making? And no church is, is out there really doing any significant work around special calling in that. So we said, let's create a toolbox to help make this red funnel, this multiplication funnel come to life. So, you know, everything in my life has been preparing and moving toward this end. Yes, I would say I have a deeper conviction ever before that you've got to put extra effort into the breakthrough required and the organized expression of church if, if you, if you, you know, if you want to, um, if, if you want to, if you want to do this. I, I was with a church yesterday on the phone. They run 2,400. The, the executive pastor is reading every, he, he's, you know, talking about discipleship.org, reading all your, your stuff, Bob. It's just amazing, the impact, right? And I said, hey, he, he's saying we want to do funnel fusion process. I said, well, where's your senior pastor? How, what does he read these days? And it's like, he just says, you know, I'm thinking about red funnel. My senior pastor is only thinking about blue funnel. And that's, that's, the, that's the challenge. If we don't see, we're not willing to name the low results that our organized expressions of program church are getting. We'll never do anything about it. So I'm on, you know, I'm on the war path, if you will. Hopefully Jesus is smiling on it to say, hey, the war path is I trust your heart. No pastor was ever called to do anything else other than love people and, and make disciples. But my war path is our, our paradigm needs to be refreshed. I trust your heart. I don't trust your paradigm. Let's, let's kind of, yeah. let's do this paradigm thing. So um, appreciate your sensitivity, not to put words in my mouth. I, I've always wanted to do it. Just trying to do, just adding to the toolbox so we can do it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Will, um, can you talk a little bit about your own sons? I know, you know, they're in ministry. You're blessed to have them in ministry. And I think they really care about the disciple-making conversation as well. Can you share any of that with us? Yeah, I would, I would, I would love to. And one, one is a really fun uh, metaphor, I think. That's a great. Uh, my, my, I have a son, Jacob, who's 27. He's at a church in San Antonio. And uh, my son Joel is 25. He's at a church in in uh, in Dallas, and but both churches, by the way, are would be funnel fusion. Like they they only want to be in churches that are fighting the fight, right? And they would quickly acknowledge limitations in their churches. But the both churches are fighting the fight, um, uh, meaning um, 
they, they do have red funnel drawings on their whiteboards and they are redesigning ministry post COVID right now. My favorite story is my son, Jacob is 27 is we were talking about the book and developing it. He, he, he was, um, he, he was at, he was he, he was sharing what a, one of his buddies shared who was a, a colleague at another large church in San Antonio and he said dad when we read about the funnels what we feel like is our job is to do the assimilation funnel by day and he said we feel like Batman we feel like we're Bruce Wayne by day dressing up in our suits going in doing doing program church but all we really want to do is do relational disciple making but we don't get to do it <laughs> our church isn't actually holding us accountable to doing that. We're Bruce Wayne by day. What we want to do is put our Batman costume on at night and go out and, and hang out with 20 somethings and, and really get about the disciple making mission. He goes, dad, if, you know, if, if future church can help us, you know, kind of, kind of integrate those identities so that it's just, we, we would actually want to just be Batman and, and daylight and just go to go to church and do relational disciple making. So it's kind of a, a tension. Um, even on that call yesterday where this executive pastor is saying, I just want to get out of bed in the morning and do disciple making and retool our church around it. He said, he said, I already know the 20 somethings are desperate for this red funnel. They're desperate yeah. for the multiplication funnel. So we know generationally um, it's the sniff test. That's this fast. And the, these 20 somethings, they get it. They see, they see the, uh, ineffectiveness of, of the program church paradigm. Yeah, it seems like you might be kind of at a little bit of a hard spot because you have maybe like the boomers and people who are maybe funding a lot of the ministry want to see assimilation and fellowship and connectivity and all that, right? And then maybe generationally you have the younger people who are wanting to see the multiplication. <clears throat> I was just wondering on a practical note, like you said that this has to be experiential to see the change, and I agree with that 100%. So like, are there, are there simple exercises or things that someone could do to experience something that might change their paradigm? Like, would there be just something simple that someone could take away from what you're saying today? Just go try yeah, this. Just put God to the test on that. Yeah. Oh, ab absolutely. We, well, and, and maybe just to clarify a little bit, um, cause, cause I do to clarify a little bit when, um, in order to bring this to the world, I reset my entire organizational structure, strategy, and team. And one of the things um, I, I did was, um, I would say my prior, I started Oxano, I sold that as an organization, that was my consulting shop, and now I'm, I'm no longer with Oxano. So love that team. I would say Oxano's strength is contextualization of ministry design and model making. The weakness was, really onboarding people into disciple-making culture as, as a part of the process, you know, where there was a lack of experience in doing it. And so when I started the Future Church Company, um, uh, I did so with Dave Rhodes, who's the former national team leader with Mike, Mike Breen and, and 3DM. And, you know, I think, I think 3DM's strength as an organization, which has kind of come and gone, so that organization is no longer existing today, but there was a season where they were training about a thousand churches and their strength was onboarding people into disciple making culture. Their weakness was, was contextualizing ministry design. So I think the weakness I would say is everywhere I've gone into a church that used 3DM, they have a pocket of people who experienced some positive culture, but they didn't actually shift the model of church. Like you didn't. So, so Dave and I are coming together to say, how do we do both? How do we, how do we actually help people 
experience and live into the disciple making culture and how do we do contextualized ministry so it's not a one size fits all missional community huddle strategy it's not a one size fits all you know whatever even tim keller in center church critiques mike breen's movement on it was too limited of a kind of a definition on how to do uh what, what they describe as missional community so um so yeah so for example i want you to imagine this we come in we will take people through a special calling toolbox and we do things like this matt to answer your question we are basically we are wanting to validate that if that if jesus were dropping down in 2021 into your community and he were to start modeling his definitive pattern today that probably doesn't look like inviting them into a life group at the church as much as it looks like something that's happening in a neighborhood on a football field or again as a banker as a plumber as a counselor like meaning there's probably people who are being called into those relationships that don't immediately show up in the in the walls of church mm -hmm. and so how does that happen and we take things like the phrase follow me and i will make you fishers of men and we 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 train on the reality that that didn't happen in a vacuum that didn't happen in a church service that didn't look like a typical church small group that was jesus ready who showed proficiency as a vocational fisherman to vocational fishermen he goes and takes these guys to the wrong part of the lake at the wrong time of the day and he brings in more fish than they have ever seen as professional fishermen and there's something about that there's something about the productivity of jesus he was the best fisherman they ever met well he was the best bartender you ever met he happened to be the best baker you ever met like everywhere jesus went he was the best you ever saw and this magnetism that was connected to his productivity as a human being was a part of that and guess what every man woman who knows jesus also has their own special sauce they bring to the call into discipleship um like i can sit on an airplane i don't i'm evangel i don't evangelize in a vacuum i don't i don't cram jesus down someone's throat you know what i do i wrote a book on how to find your dream job so my my entree in isn't as a fisherman my entree in is people ask me what i do i help people find their dream job we have a three-day process there's 18 tools and uh by the way how does your job feeling today and on every plane ride i've ever had where that conversation starts i'm bringing out tools i'm adding value to who they are before i introduce jesus and all the you know the beauty and power of the gospel now most of the time i'm going to get an opportunity to do that even on a short plane ride but the starting point is a value proposition that that includes special calling so we would actually matt to answer your question if i've got a, a banker and a plumber we're working with them to say who are your people of peace who who how will you call those people of peace into a, a deeper relationship where you can invest with them and i mean it's it's very far from even some of our you know patterned quote best disciple making models because most of them are, are operating on general calling or common calling not special calling so to get imagine sitting there with a team of pastors and a team of lay people who are saying for the first time what is your six word pitch for people to follow you as you follow jesus oh you're a doctor how does that affect your six word pitch oh you're you're, you're a banker how does that affect your six word pitch oh you're a stay-at-home mom how does that affect your six word pitch so we're even i think we're even just changing the paradigm of even common call disciple making 
in, in how we're advancing this, this live, work, and play kind of deal, of course, there's so much, you know, to, at the beginning point, there's so much to activate. And we're trying to walk with the first round of first generation to second generation disciple making mm-hmm. with the churches that we're working with right now. So we're walking with them through this first couple of generations. By the way, we'd say you, it's, you won't get to fourth generation, third and fourth generation disciple making with common calling only. It just, we're not going to see it. We've got to validate people's nine to five, the primary places where they are, if you're going to have breakthrough at that level. That we well, feel. well um, boy, it, it sure is clear that you spend a lot of time working with churches, working with leaders, working on these things, um, which is, it's so great for, you know, our audience inside the discipleship.org collective here. Um, so if, if, uh, if I'm looking at this interview and I'm thinking about your book uh, and I'm looking at our church and I'm saying, okay, what's my next step? Uh, what would that next step be? Yeah. The, ne- the next, the next step is to you know check us out at futurechurch.co future church company um you know give you my email you can email me at will at futurechurch.co.co and um a practical next step is we have put we are working um this is the first book i've done that's a principle-esque book the seven laws of real church growth so it's a really a paradigm and kind of how to think principally about this. I do the funnel fusion in the last three chapters. So we're peeking into a toolbox. We are, we are, we are bringing the toolbox to market the next, you know, we'll be publishing that in the next six months. And so the, the, the actual consulting process we've been running is not in print form, but the, but the big idea book is um, the, the future church book is. So uh, keep on the lookout for that. And we have, we have brought that to, um, uh, we, we brought a, co- we've taken about um, uh, 60 churches through two different cohorts where we've captured a 30 minute teaching on the toolbox portion of what we're doing. We've made that available. There's a, it's a $4.99 online course. You can access that. So we've got all our tools, downloadable PDFs, conversations that we're doing every day with church leaders is accessible to anybody right now for a $500 price point. And you're going to have 10, it's 10 sessions of 30 minutes of training that's building on the future church book. So get a future church book, use it with your team, make a $500 investment, and you'll have, you know, again, 10 sessions and it's 10 conversations. It's a great semester-based thing to do with your staff. So jump into that this fall, jump into a summer, whatever you, you do as a church team. That's your next successful step without having to make a phone call. If you wanted to have any on-site, we'll come into a one day with you. We'll come in. Uh, we customize everything. I'm working with some churches based on where they are. They might need four days. Based on where they are, they might need you know eight days in the next 12 months. So uh, we we love to have that conversation and see if we can add value to you as as uh, as as our on-site work is our primary thing. But we want tools and resources to spin out and become an open source toolbox for as many people as possible. So, Will, if a church wants to make the shift uh, that you've been describing. <clears throat> how long does that usually take for a church to make the shift where uh, you could look at them and say, they're really practicing what we teach churches to do? I don't measure any cultural shift without a three-year time frame, like as a normal kind of like you, 
But I know that can sound disappointing because it sounds like, oh gosh, so I want to qualify that. You can see great breakthrough. I mean, you know, every three months you can see breakthrough. You can be feel, you can feel like you're doing the best work of your life. And here's what I'd say to pastors. You can fall in love with ministry again. Let's face it. It has been hard. A lot of us are still reeling from COVID. I just want to speak to your heart and say, you are called of God. You're going to stand before Jesus. You can do that. You've got this. The most hopeful news in the world is the future of the church is found in a few. And I believe we've got enough time to, 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 to make a living and organize expressions of church and to just explode dynamite, explode a new paradigm of, of relational disciple-making effectiveness while you're doing a both and. And you can re-look at gospels and see, look at the gospels and see, Jesus was really doing this both and more than I thought. Wow, like he really did care about giving meals to 15,000 men, women, and children. But it wasn't about the meal, it was about training the 12, you know, more about training the 12 probably than it was about feeding the crowds. And like these are happening, both funnels are happening at the same time and it can for you too. So I wanna say, love the way you lead, fall in love with ministry again. You know, this special calling applies to you. There's not a one one size fits all way to do funnel fusion as a church. And there's not a one way, one size fits all to do this. I think pastors can experience a dynamic kind of uniqueness or release of the special call within the call and how you go about making disciples and having fun brushing this off. I, I would, uh, it'd be a remiss not to say like my refreshment in my own relational investment in people as a disciple maker has only been amplified and just refreshed through these own tools. I can't go to bed at night and not be thinking about where's my, you know, multiplication funnel and what does that look like today? And how's my wife and my children and my neighbors a part of that today? So I just want to say to leaders, the future of the church is found in the few and you can love ministry again from a deep place in your, in your soul. That's good. Uh, I have one last question, then I'll uh, turn to you afterwards, Matt, for, for you. Um, if, if I'm a person and I'm trying to, you know, I'm operating in the red zone of I'm discipling people and I'm discipling them according to calling, like I figured out my, my gifts and abilities. Are there micro disciple making tools like discovery Bible study or other things like that, that you've found to be particularly effective and that you could possibly mention on this call? Oh, sure. That, well, there, um, well, like la- yesterday I was on with a church that was using Robbie Gallaty's replicate material. So, um, you know, what we want to do is inform a paradigm shift and then equip them either to make their own tools, benchmarking with the best out there, or, um, you know, re- recreate their own. Um, in, in one of the churches I brought in, David Putman, to share kind of, he's got a, a super simple model for being in the Word every day. He works with triads. And so his gospel disciple triads is one of my favorite, you know, things to do. And he's got a simple, uh, you know, work through a 14 week, you read through the gospel of Mark and then you multiply. And here's how he does it. This is why I love this. He basically, he builds multiplication in right at the moment of invitation because he basically, he engages one person. He invites one person into a discipling relationship and then says, hey, we're not going to get started until you invite your one and we form a triad. It's a really unique little model that he has um, at his gospel disciples stuff. And he's a little bit under the radar. That's why I'm mentioning him. So yeah. I like bringing him into that. 
But, um, you know, any, anything that's getting people in the word of God and getting them, you know, elbow deep in relationships basically is, you know, is fantastic. I like taking those ideas and helping churches make their own. So like, for example, that Peachtree Church illustration of, um, you know, growing more grateful, available, curious, and encouraging. You can easily take, um, you know, use the gospel as a textbook, um, but you're kind of skinning it with, hey, how are, how, are, how, are, how are disciples growing more grateful, available, curious, and encouraging, you know, as, as, as we're reading through the gospels there. So I like kind of building a bridge with each church's unique kind of DNA with those tools. But, um, you know, whether it's Discovery Bible Study, awesome. You know, Neil Cole's, I love Neil Cole's stuff. You know, the, he was the first one to introduce me to some of the person of peace questions and basic, you know, just reproducible questions. You know, you got the BLESS acronym. I mean, the stuff you guys are helping, you know, pull together and aggregate at discipleship.org, giving people access to those things. So, you know, whether it's BELLS, whether it's BLESS, whether it's Discovery Bible Study, whether it's SOAP, you know, whether it's triad, you know, Gospel Disciple Triads, whether it's Replicate Study, you know, we're just, it's like Taco Bell, man. Like they're doing something new. It's the same basic ingredients. They just they just mix it up, you know. Um, it's just tacos and, and tortillas. It's meat and t- tortillas and cheese. So it's like it's Word of God. It's it's relationships. It's you know um, up in and out triangle. So you know any any of those any of those um, pieces are, are awesome. I would say my favorite is unique. So every you know everyone that comes through our three day training has a has a personal vision frame. And 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 they, um, they 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 state their vocational discipleship statement and their ultimate contribution statement. So they're dreaming about how their life's going to contribute and how their work is a medium for disciple making. We're bringing them across the line to name that. So that's 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 not a a quick like reproducible tool. You got to install it on the front end. But then once you get it in the system, boy, it's easy to have those conversations about special calling in in uh, you know, in your in your faith community. That's good. Matt? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that it, it really comes down to the few rather than the many, because I think that is a very hopeful statement. You've kind of reiterated that a few times, and I hope people catch just how hopeful that is to know you don't have to do the 120 on day one. Like, you start with the few, and and I think that's, that is so hopeful when you said that. And, and I think the specific in general is so, so important. The specific calling and general calling that you keep also tagging in on is so, so important because a general calling is a calling to no one, really. Like if I don't feel like that I'm called to do it, it's just, oh, it's, it's like when we say God wants us to love people. Yeah, I love everyone. Well, what does that really mean? What does that really look like? You know, and so I, I think that the love component is, is also really important in that, that we're all called to love people. I really love them, like love in action. And what does that look like? It looks a lot like making disciples. It looks a lot like reaching the lost and discipling and those sorts of things. And so I really love that you're, you're, you're bringing out this idea that we do have a specific calling to specific people, that God has put specific people in our lives that he's called us to reach. And, I, and, and, and to not follow through on that calling or to not try to discern that calling would be a big mistake. You know? And then that brings personal responsibility to the table. Because if I just say I have a general calling and my, my preaching is discipling or whatever we want to say is discipling, in a very general, broad sense, you know, then we don't have to invest in the lives of the people God may really specifically be calling just you to do. And so I appreciate your brain. It's great. I, Matt, I love that phrase. I, I, one of my favorite phrases in the Future Church book is the idea of the pastorhood of every believer. 
because 500 years ago, we needed to explode dynamite on the priesthood. Everyone has direct access to God. Well, today we need to say everyone's got a sphere of influence that, you know, call them to pastor. Where is their, help them name their parish, their kingdom platform. And there's so much uh, beauty in that. Hey, Bobby, I do want to mention, because you mentioned the tool, we have a great free tool. We created a free online course. So if you go to life from the life unique special calling is a life unique spelled Y-O-U. The unique is you got to put the life unique Y-O-U. uh, in the unique.com forward slash starter kit. It's a fabulous free kit with the most valuable tool I've ever seen to create community. It's called a life discovery grid. It's a simple life mapping tool. And if I were to call, if I were to hang out with five guys right now and just meet for the next 14 weeks, my start, it's always my starting point tool because it develops a level of community and helps us appreciate one another's stories in such an efficient but profound way. So that's part of our open source toolbox. Anyone can get, download that, check it out, use that where, where, uh, where you are and see how, how you can contextualize it. Great. Well, I want to personally commend uh, Will's book, Future Church. Uh, Will, really appreciate your work on that, the, the kind of work you're doing, and especially the uh, encouragement to develop specific ways of effectiveness in the local church. So. Thank you so much for your participation. And I know it's really been an encouragement to me. I think, Matt, you feel the same. And to all of our listeners today. So thank you, Will Mancini. You can purchase Will Mancini's book, Future Church, today over at Amazon.com. So make sure you go there and do that. Hey, I'm switching things up for the next few episodes. We're going to take a break from our author series, and we are going to dive into a series about disciple-making movements featuring Ken Shackelford. So go ahead and click next and listen to the next episode to get started on that. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.